0: is entitled, Because God Has Drawn Near. We're looking at familiar passage of Luke chapter 2, often read and quoted, memorized by uh, young people in, in, uh, during the Christmas season, but uh, I think it's significant that it's come during the Easter season or resurrection that we're, that's why he came uh, to, to be born was to, uh, to, to die and to uh, be raised again. And, uh, and then uh, we just thank the Lord for what He's uh, provided for us. So we're looking at Luke chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 8 through 20. And as we begin, I want you to notice in uh, Jeremiah three fourteen and 15, it says, Turn, O backsliding children, Saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and will bring you to Zion, and I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Now, uh, we think of pastors, uh, usually think of maybe the pastor of a church, uh, but the word pastors here has to do with shepherding, which, of course, pastors uh, of churches should be doing, is shepherding as well. Uh, but uh, that's the, uh, the idea of pastoring. And so when you come to Luke chapter 2, uh, the, pas- or the pastors or the shepherds uh, have a prominent uh, part uh, in this uh, account. It's been described this way. Let me read you a description of this. Uh, Uh, silver starlight gleaming down from the velvet vault of the heaven under the rolling hills of Judea. Uh, These are not my words. Uh, I'm not that verbose. I mean that uh, um, uh, intelligent. But it says, The bare ghost of a breeze gently stirring the chilly night air, the occasion bleat of the sheep, Throw another log on the campfire, its crackling flame casts long jumping shadows, simple country shepherds gathering around the blaze in an effort to warm themselves as they keep their midnight vigil. One of the shepherds breaks away from the hypnotic flickering of the campfire to check the sheep. Satisfied with that his charges are safe, he lets his gaze sweep upward to the midnight sky and its vast array of stars. Perhaps he remembers the familiar words of the psalmist as he ponders the glory and majesty of, of the God of creation who has wrought the cosmos with his fingertips. Yes, indeed, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament of the sky shows forth his handiwork. Again, uh, someone has very aptly and uh, well, uh, well written a description of what it might have been on that night. But on this night... You have these simple shepherds gazing into the heavenly skies. They are about to experience that which is beyond their wildest dreams. Uh, it's a beautiful significance uh, in, in the fact that the first announcement of the birth of Jesus should be made to shepherds. Uh, it seems fitting that the arrival of the Lamb of God should have uh, be made known to shepherds. He's the Lamb of God. And these shepherds should be the first to learn of the birth of the great shepherd. And then it's possible that these shepherds were keeping the flocks that were designated for temple sacrifices. Uh, The Mishnah, or the oral collection of Jewish interpretations of the scripture, it states that only the temple flocks were to be kept within the land of Israel. All other sheep must be kept in the wilderness areas. Now, if that's true then these shepherds take on even a deeper significance, don't they? The sheep that they were watching on this night were destined to be sacrificed in the Jewish temple. And each morning, each evening, a sacrifice is offered. A lamb is taken and is killed to provide for the forgiveness of sins. Day after day, month after month, year after year, and over a thousand years This unending ceremony had taken place. But you know what? It was never enough. It was never enough. And today's sacrifice must be, again, repeated tomorrow. With the endless successions of tomorrows. Endless observances. Endless sacrifices. And yet, there was a promise. It was a promise which had come down from the Hebrew prophets of one who would be put an end to sin. One who would be like a lamb led to the slaughter. One who would have laid himself on himself the iniquities of us all. So on this night, these simple shepherds are going to see the beginnings of the fulfillment of that promise. Heaven will touch earth. God will draw near. God had dealt with men in the past in many times, in many ways. He had spoken to the fathers, to the prophets. But now he's going to draw near in a new way. Now he would become a baby. A baby. A baby is a picture of helplessness. The creator held in the rough hands of a humble carpenter. The life giver to be fed at the breast of a young peasant girl. And yet there's something very appealing about a baby. Everyone loves a baby, don't they? You know, when a baby comes into the room, if it's not bawling its head off, you probably say, oh boy, let me see that baby. Can I hold the baby? Every woman in here probably would say that for sure. Men would say, don't let me, I'll drop him. So God desired to draw near to man, and he came as a little baby. God has drawn near, and that's made all the difference in the world. And I want us to notice that because God has drawn near, first of all, fear replaced by joy. Fear is replaced by joy. Look at verse 9 of chapter 2. Verse 9 says, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Can you picture that scene? Shepherds are gathered around their campfire trying to warm themselves against the chilly night air, and suddenly there's a light. The shadows and the blackness of the night give way to a sudden brilliance, and before them in the blazing light stands an awesome creature, an angel, The shepherds are terrified. In the penetrating light of the majestic spectacle, they suddenly realize what sinful and lowly beings they really are. And then the angel speaks. Look at verse 10 and 11. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So the angel begins by telling the shepherds, do not be afraid. Now that's usually the first thing an angel says when speaking to a man, a mortal man. I think it's in the angelic handbook under the chapter headings, bringing messages to humans. And it says there that angels are to be in all conversations with the words, fear not or don't be afraid. Why is that? Well, Because angels are different, the presence of an angelic being forces us to recognize that there is even a more powerful God who sent the angel. And when we're confronted with the reality of the reflection of God's holiness in his messenger, our reaction many times would be fear. But the good news is we do not have to be afraid. We do not have to be afraid because the awesome messenger of God has brought a message of salvation. Now, when I am confronted with the wondrous holiness of God, the result is fear, but when I hear the message that holiness of God has drawn near in the form of a baby, that results in joy. Again, who who's afraid of a baby? When God spoke through a burning bush, Moses was afraid. When God spoke from Sinai, and the earth trembled, and the mountain quaked, and the people fell down and pleaded for an intercessor, lest they die. When God spoke in dreams and in visions, men had reason to fear because he was mysterious and holy. But when God wanted to dispel all fear, he came as a little baby. And because he has come as a baby, fear has been replaced by joy. Because he has come as a baby, we can come with confidence before the throne of God. Because God has drawn near. Secondly, because God has drawn near, the promise is replaced by fulfillment. That's what the message of the angel was all about. In verse 11. And for, for unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Jesus was not born in a vacuum. His birth had been promised from the very beginning. At the dawning of human history, the promise had been given. And as the crunch of the forbidden fruit echoed through the Garden of Eden, the prophecy was told that the deliverer would come. One who would, first of all, overturn the works of the serpent. That's what the deliverer would do. Secondly, the Deliverer would defeat death. And thirdly, the Deliverer would save men from their sins. And and I believe the shepherds understand this. And when they're told that the identity of this newborn Savior is Christ the Lord, they really don't need any further uh, explanation. Even though they were relatively ignorant and unlearned men, they would have been taught from childhood that there is coming one who will be anointed by God, the Messiah. They knew that. They may have been familiar with the prophecy from the book of Micah that a Messiah was to be born in nearby Bethlehem, the ancestral home of King David. But how would they recognize a newborn king? Would he be found in a palace perhaps clothed in rich purple silks and lying in a golden cradle. The shepherds needed a sign. And so, because God was drawn near, doubt replaced by certainty. Doubt was replaced by certainty. Verse 12, And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, the birth of Christ has supplied signs which were designed to dispel any doubts. Remember when Zacharias doubted, he received the sign of dumbness. He was not able to speak. As Elizabeth trusted, she received the sign of her own pregnancy. When Mary submitted, she received the sign of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And as Joseph struggled... With what he heard, he received a sign of a dream from God. So now these shepherds are also given a sign, and it's going to be a twofold sign. Number one, they would find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. The chosen king, the Savior, would be found not in rich purple silks, but wrapped in simple common cloth, devoid of any great worth or significance. So that's a sign, swaddling clothes. Second one sign is the babe would be found lying in a manger. Now, these shepherds may or may not have known a lot about babies, but they do know about mangers, don't they? A manger is a tool of their trade. The last place that they would ever think to look for a newborn baby, much less a newborn king, would be in a manger. And I don't think they could have been more surprised than if you had been told to look for the Messiah in a dumpster. That would say, what? And they were saying, what, in a manger? A feeding trough for animals? No more humble surroundings could be imagined. Majesty in the midst of the mundane. Holiness entering the world on the dirty floor of a stable through the womb of a young virgin in the presence of a poor carpenter. You know, the world today is looking for a sign. And astrology is probably at an all-time high. Have you checked your horoscope lately? I hope not. Don't worry about it. It's not going to be worth it. A lot of people think that's what they got to do. Religious charlatans abound in our society. Hucksters, we could call them, can even be found in the house of God. And although God sometimes works through the dramatic, you know, back in the Old Testament, he worked through a pillar of fire, the parting of a sea, the making of the sun to stand still, more often than not, his signs are like the one we see here. A baby in a manger. Now, you can miss it if you try. There are a lot of people in and around Bethlehem who did not see this sign, did they? It's not that they weren't looking for the Messiah. They were. They were looking for a great and mighty prophet like Moses. They were looking for a great high priest who would make the final sacrifice on their behalf. They were looking for a conquering king coming in on a white charger. A prophet, a priest, a king. Well, Jesus was all of that. But because he came in the midst of humility, people didn't recognize when he came. And you can still miss him if you try. I wonder, what have you been going through lately? Have there been some trials, some difficulties, some some worries, some some things coming in your life that you say, "Well, oh, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. What am I going to do?" And you're wringing your hands and you're losing sleep. Think of your most difficult situation. Did you see the Lord in that? He's there. And when you realize that he is there, then your doubt will turn to certainty as well. Doubt turning to certainty. And because God has drawn near, silence is replaced by proclamation. And there are two proclamations that are recorded here in this passage there's the proclamation from the angels. Verse 13 says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. As though the heavens were unable to contain the excitement of this wonderful moment, the entire sky seems to break forth and be filled with the manifestation of heavenly bodies praising and proclaiming the salvation of God. And by the way, I want you to notice what the passage does not say. It does not say that the angelic army came from heaven. Do you find it there? Look for it. Time's up. It's not there. They did not come from heaven. Rather, it says they appeared. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude. It was like they just were there. Now that indicates to me that they were already there. But they could not be seen by the shepherds. And I believe we need to realize that there are spiritual, and forgive the the term, forces, I don't want to mislead us, but there are spiritual things going on around us all the time. Because we're in a spiritual battle, are we not? The scriptures tell us that we're in the midst of a spiritual war. But most people aren't even aware that there's a war going on. We need discernment. We need to be aware of the spiritual reality around us. There's that which is trying to defeat us. Satan and his hosts are trying to tear you down, to to work on you, to reject all this that we're talking about here. Do you realize that right now there are all sorts of sounds and colors moving around you that you're not able to see and hear? And you'll never be able to see or hear them until, well, until you turn the TV on and suddenly there are sounds and colors which traveled over the airwaves and there they are in your living room. But they were already there. And by the same token it's not until you take the Bible and you read it and plug it into it the truths that the spiritual world is then revealed to you. I think that's important. We are a people of proclamation. We have a message to proclaim. It is the gospel. Amen. But this message did not originate with mankind. It's not merely human philosophy. It's a proclamation from heaven. And because it came from heaven, we can believe it. And we believe it, we ought to also proclaim it. And this is what the shepherds did. So you have the proclamation of the shepherds. Verse 17. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all that they heard, all they that heard it, wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. The shepherds heard the message, and they acted on it. They made their way to Bethlehem, and they came and found Mary and Joseph and the child. Now, we're not told how they found the child. I don't know that they uh, ran around the town. Is, that, is he here? Is he here? You know, knocking on every door. I, I don't know uh, what kind of GPS they had back in those days. Maybe they were waking everybody up in search of that barn and that manger. But last, they come to the place where Joseph and Mary and the child are staying, and there they are, and there's the child, just as the angel had promised. So what now? Well, there is a now. Now. The confirmation of the message produces a reaction on their part. The reaction is that they began to proclaim the news. No one had to tell them they ought to be a witness. No one told them that. They didn't enroll in an evangelism, uh, evangelism course. They didn't memorize the four spiritual laws. They already knew about the Ten Commandments their reaction was spontaneous. They would have found it difficult not to spread the news. You see, true faith always brings about action. It's as as simple as the law of physics, which states that every action produces a corresponding reaction. This has been called the law of nature, but it's really the law of God who created nature. And as God's law is true in the physical realm, so it's also true in the spiritual realm. Faith always brings about a corresponding reaction. So what about you? I know you have the ability to witness, but if you come to the point where it's a spontaneous reaction? One pastor shared this story. He said, he was driving in Miami with his mother and went to pull out of a parking spot and backed into another car. He said it was his fault. There was no doubt about it. They called 911, are waiting for the police to arrive, and when they are waiting, his mother, of all things, got out and shared the gospel with the man whose car they hit. He remembered thinking, I wouldn't do that. He might think all Christians drive poorly then he recognized that she was right because hers was an act of spontaneity. She couldn't help but be a witness. You see, we have a message. It is that God has drawn near and we are commanded to take that message to others and to draw near to them as well. I wonder, are we, is the reaction of the message of the proclamation of the gospel in our lives, something that we're ready and willing to share with others. Let's pray. Father in heaven,